This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back. What a few weeks it's been in B.C. politics. Uh, the B.C. Liberals winning a slim minority uh, in the last election, uh, the start of the month. Well, in the sense that they had more seats than the other two parties, but not combined. So the NDP and the Greens announced uh, that they would combine and uh, they would form a minority government. Now, Christy Clark and the Liberals, though, decided that uh, we'll test the confidence of the legislature first. So they went in, back in as, as government, had a speech from the throne. And uh, as expected, the NDP and the Greens uh, forced a, a vote of non-confidence and the government fell. So B.C. Premier Christy Clark went to go see the lieutenant governor late yesterday and resigned as premier. Now, here's what Christy Clark says about the conversation she had with the lieutenant governor. I offered my resignation and asked for dissolution. And the reason I did that is because as we had our conversation, it became very clear to me the risk that would be posed uh, by, you know, what I what I believe the risk that would be there for um, changing the rules and really bending the, the rules of democracy in order to make a government, another government works. So it raises some interesting questions because the lieutenant governor refused that request and instead has given John Horgan, the B.C. NDP leader, the opportunity to lead with his uh, partnership with the Green Party. Now, that may be short lived. They've got a numbers problem that we can talk about. But uh, is that an unusual request from Christy Clark? Is it unusual for the lieutenant governor to not grant that request? And what happens now in terms of the role the speaker plays or the role the lieutenant governor plays in deciding that an election's needed? Joining us for some thoughts on all of this, pleased to welcome to the program David Mosgrib, political scientist at Simon Fraser University. David, thanks for making some time for us here. Oh, my pleasure. This has been quite fascinating, hasn't it? It has been. Uh, you know, I just finished uh, following it pretty closely for six weeks. Uh, I wrote a piece about it last night for McLean's and sort of concluded that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the system worked. Well, I suppose it did. But what, what do you mean when you say that? Well, you know, the Westminster system is designed to be uh, flexible. Uh, it's based on a lot of unwritten conventions that require at the end of the day that the folks involved in it behave themselves and that, and that they treat the system with respect. And I think Christy Clark tried to torque that a little bit. Um, and the lieutenant governor did what she was meant to do, which is look to see if there was someone else who could form a government, found that there was, and give that person a shot. And now we're going to have a, an NDP government supported by the Greens for a period of time. And if that doesn't work, then we'll have another election and the voters will sort it out. And I think that says a lot about the system. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. May 9th was the election, and uh, yesterday was June 29th, so that's how long it took to decide that, that John Horgan would be the premier. Um, in terms of, of Christy Clark asking for dissolution, what, what did you make of that? Well, uh, you know, I thought it was quite cynical. Um, she had said that she wouldn't do so. And uh, then she later said, well, you know, it's not my job to to advise the the lieutenant governor what to do, even though that's precisely what her job is constitutionally. Uh, and then she turned around and said, actually, no, never mind, I will. Um, so I, I thought it was rather cynical. It was a sort of last-ditch effort to try to remain in power after she had um, previously adopted a throne speech that, that borrowed, let's say, quite heavily from the NDP Green platforms. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I understand it's politics. You know, you want to cling to power. That's fair. Um, but the lieutenant governor did the right thing and, and didn't grant the dissolution. But is it awkward that 
the um, the lieutenant governor is ignoring a request from the premier? Not really. You know, the uh, effectively the lieutenant governor has uh, more or less two fundamental jobs uh, aside from the ceremonial things, and that's to have a premier and to sort of ensure the continuity of government and the legislature if she can. Um, when she receives a request for dissolution, she then has the, the sort of leeway to decide yes or no. That's actually where she has some discretion. And, and she didn't just pull this out of nowhere. She would have consulted experts in constitutional law. They would have talked about precedent. And they would have found that if, as a rule, um, if there is someone who's ready to govern, and a premier or a prime minister requests dissolution, but there's someone ready to, to govern who can command a working majority in the legislature or the House of Commons, then that person gets a try. And that's sort of always how we've done it. And someone might say, well, that's not very democratic because, the, you know, the premier is the, the head of the, the elected um, party in, in the legislature. But the truth is it is quite democratic because that, the LG or the GG then turns to another elected leader to let that person give a typically elected leader to have that person give it a shot. So, you know, there's a little bit of flexibility there, and, and that's ultimately good for the system. Right. So if John Horgan had gone to the lieutenant governor and said, well, you know, thanks for the opportunity, but I, I don't think we can do it, then there probably would be an election. Oh, absolutely. And, and keep in mind, I mean, John Horgan's government could fall before too long. Right now, the legislature is has a, as a working majority for the NDP, effectively, of, of you know, 44, 43. But one of those folks are going to have to serve as a speaker, which means that the count will actually be 43, 43, and yeah. that's a pretty <laughs> unstable mix. So, you know, they could suffer an unconfidence vote at, at some point fairly soon, you know, say in the next 18 months or so, and, and we'll be back at this. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, again, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, what a mess, and the response is, well, you know, not really. If it does get really bad, the worst thing that's going to happen is that we have another election, and well, people will sort it out. Yeah, well, that's true, right? I mean, that's what the system's designed to do. Now, it, it does become interesting, as you say, because 44 is needed for a majority of the B.C. ledge. Uh, and that's what the NDP and the Greens have. The Liberals aren't going to help them. They're not going to offer up anybody to serve as Speaker, so they'll have to choose one. Uh, and, and in terms then of the role of the Speaker, when it comes to tie votes, what's the convention? What's the tradition in terms of the role a Speaker plays? So, you know, the Speaker is the, the referee of the legislature. Here, she makes sure that everyone's following the rules and they discipline, you know, they hand out penalties if that's required. And uh, in the case of a tie, they're called on to vote, but only in the case of a tie. And the convention, more or less, although it's a little different in Canada than other places in some cases, um, is that the speaker would um, typically vote against um, the government, um, you know, on a final reading of a bill, because they their job is to, quote-unquote, you know, continue debate or to preserve the status quo which means that they want to make it so that in the future this thing could come up again and it can be decided by a majority in the legislature. Um, that, but the question is, what's this speaker going to do if there's a bunch of 43-43 ties? Do they vote with the government to pass the legislation or do they let it go? And if they decide to let it go, vote against the government as tradition would, would dictate or convention, um, will this legislature get anything done or will it effectively become deadlocked? Well, and, and so if you're supposed to be the referee of the legislature, but you're in a very partisan way, siding with the government, propping up the government, those that, that seems at odds. I think so. You know, I, I thought it was appropriate that the LG let uh, John Horgan give it a shot, um, because, you know, in theory, he could find a way to work with the liberals, whatever. He, that's his job to figure out now. I do think it would be inappropriate to, to politicize a speaker too much, because 
ultimately that person needs to be seen as nonpartisan to the best of his or her ability. They need to be seen as a fair broker. And, you know, you know, can they really separate their partisanship from their referee role if they're constantly voting to, to sort of prop up and to pass government legislation? Now, I should note, that speaker may decide, I will only vote with the government on confidence matters. You know, my job is just to make sure the government doesn't fall if I'm called on to vote, but I won't with ordinary legislation, non-confidence legislation. That might be a pretty fair um, compromise. But the key is the speaker will need to communicate all of this ahead of time, I think, and make the rationale very clear because it's his or her job to maintain as much trust in the institution and the office as possible. But how much of this is tradition? How much of this is really specifically written out that this is how it has to be? Oh, very little is written out. <laughs> um, you know, much like our system, a lot of this is convention. A lot of this is, is tradition. Um, in this case, it's convention. Uh, the, 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 the bit that's written out is that the legislature needs to have a speaker that speaker needs to be a member of the legislature, and he or she only votes in a case of a tie. That's effectively the, the bulk <laughs> of what's written out. And the rest of it is up to, the, to that person, and, and it requires just good behavior. Um, so, you know, that'll be tested, I think, in this legislature. I don't think we should assume that there's going to be a crisis, but it certainly could be a problem. So the NDP, if they wanted, they could really push that envelope and say where well, there's nothing specifically preventing or prohibiting a somewhat partisan speaker. Oh, they absolutely could. Um, of course, at the end of the day, the the party doesn't control the speaker. The speaker is independent. Uh, the members of the legislature elect the speaker amongst themselves. In fact, it's the first thing they do when a legislature is called back. Um, and that's so. It's up to the speaker whether or not he or she actually wants to um, to be partisanized, if you will. Uh, but you know, the party might try to instruct somebody to do so. That's perfectly within their purview, and you know they, they very well might end up doing that. And, and it's worth noting that in other parts of the world, the speaker is often partisan. You know, uh, not just in say like the United States or Paul Ryan, who's the speaker of the House, is I mean plainly partisan, right. about as partisan as it gets. Um, you know, there, there are other places. Uh, this happens in Australia, for instance, where the speaker does end up being a bit partisan. So you know, it wouldn't be unprecedented. I, I don't think it's a, a great way to do things, but. You know, it, w- it wouldn't be the end of the world, and it, and it, like I said, certainly wouldn't be unprecedented. Well, it's going to be interesting. I guess along the way we're learning a little bit about our system, too, so that's <laughs> not such a bad thing. Uh, David, thanks for making some time for us here this morning. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. All right, take care. David Musgrob is a political scientist at Simon Fraser University. So that's where things stand. You know, this kind of an outcome, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how the numbers played out. So uh, as expected, the Liberals lost that vote 44 to 42. Uh, once they appointed a speaker, the NDP, or rather the Liberals, had just 42 MLAs. You need 44 for a majority. In this case, there wasn't going to be a tie vote. The speaker doesn't vote. So there you go. Problem now is that the Greens and the NDP have to appoint somebody as speaker. And then they'll only be at 43. And then imagine if someone's uh, sick or away or something, right? What, what could happen then? Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.